you have your Bibles, you can open to Genesis chapter 40. We are going through a series looking at Joseph's life. And I want to start by asking this question. Have, have you ever felt that the circumstances of your life or your day were moving in the right direction, and then in a sudden turn of events, you found yourself in the middle of adversity, right? in, in the middle of a struggle, in the middle of a trial that's going through your life. And when that happens, we may even wonder, how did I get here? And we certainly may wonder, is, is God with me? And will God rescue me out of this? You know, about 10 years ago, I was on a mission trip in a Muslim country in Central Asia. We were spending the day walking through the outskirts of a large city and praying and, and sharing the gospel with the people in that community. And as we turned up one street, there was a, a man who greeted us who was, his job was to, to bake desserts for the hotels in that larger city. And I kid you not, he had just pulled a New York cheesecake out of his kitchen oven. And so when he saw Americans walking down the road, he greeted us uh, very heartily and asked us to come in and to, to give our stamp of approval on his New York cheesecake. And so we were sitting in his, his house, we were eating this cheesecake, and I, I must admit, after the, the diet we had kept uh, for that week, this was like manna from heaven. There was even strawberries that he had. And so I thought, this is a great day. And so we said goodbye, we departed, we, we left, walked down one road, turned the corner up another street. Only this time we found ourselves confronted by a crowd of people. And these people began to argue and to, to shout uh, toward the missionaries we were working with. And the crowd continued to grow, and, and it began to surround us, and we found ourselves kind of in the middle of this crowd. And I remember cars pulled up while people kind of jumped out and continued arguing. And I remember at one moment, some young men uh, walked up to, to the circle, and they kicked these, these large rocks kind of on the ground uh, in front of us. And I, I thought this could get ugly very quickly. Fear gripped my heart. I began to pray to God that God would rescue us, that God would allow us to escape this, this tense situation that was only growing more tense. And the fact that I did not know what they were saying in their, their language only heightened and elevated our distraught. But suddenly, there was an older man who certainly had the respect of the crowd, and he said to us in English, he said, it is not good that you are here. He said, follow me, and I will take you to the bus stop. And so I was thankful. We, the crowd dispersed. We followed him. We, we departed down the road. And on that time, we were able to share the gospel with this man as we walked, and we thanked him for his time. And then off we went on the bus. Now, I share that thinking about this sermon this morning, about Joseph in the prison. And I share that because I'm reminded that life is full of ups and downs, right? One day things look better, and then suddenly they look objectively worse. And this passage shows us how to handle the days that are filled with adversity and struggles. And so look with me at Genesis chapter 40, and we're going to look at chapter 40 and 41. So hold on. I'm going to uh, summarize, but also read some, some of the scripture passages. You'll see them behind me when at that time. But I want us to see this as we look at Genesis chapter 40. That chapter 40 opens telling us 
that sometime after Joseph was thrown into prison, the chief cupbearer and chief baker were also in the same prison for an offense against the king of Egypt, an offense against Pharaoh. In fact, against Pharaoh. In fact, that word means sin. So they had done something that was at least perceived to have wronged the Pharaoh. And we're not told exactly why they are there, but it is important for us to understand how significant these two men were in Egypt. Right? These, these men were not simply a waiter who poured drinks and a baker with a bread shop in the marketplace. No, these men had great power. They had to be trusted with Pharaoh's life. They had one primary duty. If you were a cupbearer or the, the chief baker, it was to make sure that Pharaoh was not poisoned by what he ate or drank. And so by God's providence, these two men were in the same prison that Joseph was in. They were in the king's prison. And we're told that Joseph attended to their needs as it was his assigned duty. And look at what we read in, in chapter 40, verses 5 through 8. It says, in one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him and in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, and look at this, we're, we're going to come back to this, but this amazing and faith-filled statement. He said, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. And what happens next is the chief cupbearer tells his dream to Joseph about a vine that had three branches, which budded and, and, and blossomed and ripened. And in the dream, the cupbearer squeezed the grapes into Pharaoh's cup, and he placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Joseph immediately gives the interpretation. He says, the three branches are three days, for in three days, Pharaoh would lift up the cupbearer's head, which that's a phrase in antiquity that meant to, to give someone a place of honor, to lift up his head and to restore him to his official office as cupbearer. And Joseph was so confident that there were only three days left for the cupbearer in prison. And given his high position in Pharaoh's court, he gave a special request to the cupbearer. One that I believe was from Joseph's heart. Look again at chapter 40, verses 14 through 15, where Joseph said this. He said, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Right? What an interesting phrase there, that, that Joseph would describe the, the current prison situation he is in as the pit, the very place his brothers threw him into 11 years earlier. Well, next was the baker's turn. I imagine he was excited after hearing the cupbearer's interpretation. And so he shared with Joseph that in his dream, there were three baskets on his head full of baked food for Pharaoh. But there were birds eating the baked goods out of the baskets. And Joseph did not hesitate, but immediately interpreted his dream for him. He, he said that the three baskets also represented three days, only this time there's a twist. For Pharaoh would lift up the baker's head by executing him. 
And everything we read in the scriptures happened in three days, just like Joseph said. The cupbearer was restored to his office, and the chief baker was executed. But this chapter ends with verse 23, which gives us a a statement that I want to highlight. I, I, I can only imagine that this statement saddened Joseph as each day would pass over the next two years. It says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And chapter, 40 opens, chapter 41 opens two years later. Joseph is now 30 years old. And we are told that Pharaoh had a dream in two parts on the same night that troubled him greatly. In his first dream, Pharaoh was standing by the Nile River. And he saw seven healthy cows feeding along the riverbanks. And out of the Nile River came seven ugly and thin cows. And they ate the healthy cows. Now, in his second dream, Pharaoh saw this. He saw a single stalk of grain growing, and on it were seven healthy heads of grain, followed by seven thin heads of grain. That says It says they were scorched by the east wind. Now, that east wind was a wind that, that often threatened Egypt's crops. It was a wind that was devastating and would render them completely useless. And in that dream, the seven thin heads of grain consumed the seven healthy heads of grain. Well, the scripture tells us Pharaoh awoke that morning greatly troubled. His wise men and magicians were unable to interpret his dreams, which dreams were a big deal in Egypt. That's why you had these wise men and and magicians and mages, and, and they could not interpret his dream. But we read this, that the chief cupbearer remembered. And he told Pharaoh that while in prison, both he and the baker each had dreams, and Joseph interpreted them. And so look again at at chapter 41 here, in verses 14 through 16, it says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me, for God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And Joseph gives the interpretation from the Lord, adding that God has revealed what he is about to do. There's going to be seven good years of harvest, followed by seven years of severe famine. And in verse 32, Joseph reinforces to Pharaoh that God's sovereign plan will take place because he says that the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing, the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Joseph then continues, and he takes the initiative to give a a plan of action to Pharaoh, one that shows his maturity and even his giftings of administration. He suggests that during the seven years of plenty, that one-fifth of the harvest be stored for the seven years of famine as a reserve for both the land and the people. Pharaoh, pleased at this, this plan, he appoints Joseph to be over his house and to be over the entire land of Egypt. And Joseph has this new responsibility, one that we might recognize as a prime minister. And Pharaoh adorned Joseph with his ring, with garments of fine linen and a gold chain. And he renamed Joseph and even gave him in marriage. 
And then next week and the coming weeks, we will continue to see this uh, unfold. But what we will see is that everything happened for God's glory in order to fulfill his promises. And so I want to share with you what I believe is the main idea of our text this morning, of these two chapters. And here's what it is. That God is sovereignly working in the prison moments of our lives for his glory and our good. God is sovereignly working in the prison moments of our lives, right? The sufferings, the trials, the the struggles that we go through in life, he is working in that currently for his glory and for our good. And here is a truth that we've been learning this entire series, looking at Joseph's life, that God is always working, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And that continues today in our text. In fact, it doesn't get more difficult than to be a prisoner in Egypt for several years, especially when Joseph knew in his heart that he was innocent. You see, Joseph was there for doing the right thing, for fleeing temptation. And one might look at this, and and on the surface, it might appear that, that God has forgotten Joseph. But when we look at the scriptures, we see very clearly that Joseph is not forgotten by God. And we will see how God is with Joseph in the prison, working every detail of his life to prepare him for the moment where he would stand before Pharaoh and present a plan that would ultimately bless the nations. A continued fulfillment of the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, a a promise that we know is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, there are three things I want us to see about Joseph's life in these chapters. Here's point number one. God did not forget Joseph in the prison. We see this very clearly. God did not forget Joseph in the prison. And one of the beautiful things we get to see in these chapters is how God was with Joseph in the prison and always working in his life. Read with me. I'm going to go back into chapter 39, just a few verses, because I think this is so important for us to see what Joseph's life in the prison was like. And, And what I want to do is read verse 21 through 23, and I want you to see the parallel Even with the beginning of chapter 39, this is almost word for word what was said when Joseph entered service in Potiphar's house. And now he's entering service in the prison, and we see this again. Look at verse 21. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there... He was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Here's why. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You see, it is common for us to to often gauge the quality of our life or even the quality of our relationship with God by whether or not we are flourishing and prosperous. We think that if everything is going well in my life, then then God's blessing is upon me. We feel close to God during the good times when our life is going well. But what about when the circumstances of our lives are difficult? Right? Do we still see God's hand of blessing upon us? Do we see that God is present in our sufferings and trials as much as he is present in the good days? Well, Joseph shows us very clearly that God is always present and always working. I love what Charles Spurgeon 
wrote about Joseph and God's continued presence with him. In fact, Spurgeon said that the whole biography of Joseph could be summarized in this brief sentence we looked at. God was with him. Listen to what Spurgeon would write. He said, externally, it did not always appear that God was with him, for he did not always seem to be a prosperous man. But when you come to look into the inmost soul of this servant of God, you see his true likeness. He lived in communion with the Most High, and God blessed him. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. You see, what Spurgeon is showing us is this, that Joseph's success was not contingent upon his external circumstances. Joseph's success was contingent upon his relationship with God and God's promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And when we see that, we realize that Joseph's life was not blessed simply because in these chapters he moves from the prison to the palace, right? That's his external circumstances. But Joseph's life was blessed because God's hand was upon him, especially in the prison. And so we see this very clearly. God did not forget Joseph in the prison, but I also want us to see this second point, that God remained the central focus of Joseph's life. God remained the central focus of Joseph's life. You know, whenever we face trials in life, we have a choice in how we view the trials. We can focus on God and seek to live our lives from from God's perspective, right? From the, the big picture of what God's sovereign purposes are. Or we can look inward and seek to fix our own lives, putting our trust in in our abilities. I want you to hear me clearly. I'm not saying that you never try to improve your situation. After all, in our chapter, at the end of chapter 40, Joseph pleaded his innocence to the cupbearer. And he asked if he would remember him when he was restored to power with Pharaoh in, in hopes of getting out of prison. You see, there's nothing sinful about this request that Joseph gave. But I am saying this, that until we first look unto God, we will never be able to rightly assess ourselves in our situation. And so how did Joseph focus on God? Well, first, we see this. Joseph had a proper view of himself. Right? Look again at chapter 41, verses 15 through 16. This is where Pharaoh uh, is talking to Joseph, and he says, I've had a dream. And there is no one who can interpret it. And I have heard it said that of you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And look what Joseph answered him. Joseph said, it is not in me. Right, what an amazing confession that is. How easy would it have been for Joseph just to take the credit and to interpret his dream. But Joseph knew that his spiritual giftings and the working of God uh, deserves glory to God. And that it was not in him. Joseph says, I cannot do it. And I want us to see, church, this is the proper view we need to have if we're going to be used by God for God's glory. But second, Joseph not only had a proper view of himself, he had a proper view of God. Look how that verse continues. Joseph said this. He said, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Right? Joseph had a proper understanding of himself in light of God. And that's what it means to have a God-centered focus, to give God his rightful place in our lives. So we see clearly 
God did not forget Joseph in the prison. God remained the central focus of Joseph's life. Third, we see that God prepared Joseph for his future. God prepared Joseph for his future during the trials of prison. Joseph was 17 when he was thrown into the pit by his brothers, right? And he was sold as a slave to Egypt at 17 years of age. And it wasn't until 13 years later, when he was 30 years old, that he heard these words. Get up, shave yourself, and get dressed. Pharaoh has called for you. You see, this happened in God's perfect timing. God used 13 years to prepare and to position Joseph for the moment that God would work through him to present this plan to Pharaoh, one that would bless the nations. So what lessons might God have been teaching Joseph during this this time of preparation? I just want to highlight three lessons here, though there are certainly many more for us to consider. But first is the lesson of patience. Right? I think patience was worked into Joseph's life. This is a huge lesson in adversity. Of the 13 years that Joseph spent in Egypt so far, I would think that the hardest years might be the two years that Moses tells us he was forgotten by the cupbearer. So Joseph learned this secret of waiting on the Lord. And, that the, and, and it's in that secret of waiting on the Lord that Joseph rested his faith. He trusted in God's providence And God worked patience into his life. But here's the second lesson that we learn from Joseph's life, and that is one of endurance. Right? What did Joseph do? Think back on this. What did Joseph do to get thrown into prison? He avoided sin. He did the right thing. He fleed temptation, and as a result, was falsely accused of rape. And so Joseph endured injustice. And what's amazing is we're not told one time in our text that, that Joseph complained to God about his circumstances. And I want us to see this, church family. May God teach us to endure hardships and sufferings, knowing that as the Bible teaches us, when we do good and suffer, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He is working in the midst of that situation. And then third, the third lesson that Joseph is, is, is learning here in the prison is joy, that of joy. And this is implied in the encouragement that Joseph sought to give the cupbearer and the baker. Right? His, his conversation with them started, how? By his concern for them. Notice what he says. He said, why are your faces downcast today? Right? What, is, what a question to ask somebody who's in this pit, in this dungeon in Egypt. Why are your faces downcast today? In other words, he's saying, hey, guys, what is there to be sad about? Right? You would think one of them might reply, I don't know, Joseph, how about, in fact, we're in dungeon, we're in prison, right? Plenty to be sad about. But I want you to hear me here. These verses about Joseph remind me very clearly of what Jesus' brother, James, would write in his epistle, where he would write this amazing statement. He's, he would say, count it all joy when you go through various trials, right? What, a, what an amazing statement, what a difficult statement that is. Count it all joy? yes when you go through trials. Why? Well, because as James would continue to tell us, the, the trials actually test our faith and they result in our sanctification. You see, God not only uses these trials, but here's what James is teaching us. God brings us through them for our spiritual growth. And in that, we can have joy. And so those three points stand 
and teaching us what the scripture teaches, but there's two more questions that we've been asking during this series. And the first question is this, how does this story speak to our story? Right, how does this story speak to our story? And I want us to see for one thing, we can be certain that whatever trials we are going through, that God is working in them for his glory and for our good. And we must admit that finding joy in the midst of our trials is difficult. But I want us to see that this passage also teaches us that, that we cannot see everything from God's perspective. And so what we need to do is trust in God during these prison moments of our lives. And I want you to know that whatever moment you are going through, whatever your, your trial is, whatever your, your prison moment is, I want you to know that God is working. Right? It may be a recent cancer diagnosis and you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Or you may be in a terrible job situation where your faith is in conflict with the company's values, one that you see no escape from. Or maybe you are persecuted for your faith. Or like Joseph, maybe you're even hated by your family. Whatever situation you find yourself in, I want us to ask this question. When sufferings and adversity enter into my life, do I draw closer to God or do I withdraw from God? Do I draw closer or do I push God away? And how we respond tells a lot about the condition of our faith. And can I give you good news? There is good news all throughout this, but I want you to see this very clearly, that no matter who you are, and what you are going through, God will not forget you. You see, we are all in the prison of our sins. And Jesus came in the flesh to rescue us. He lived a perfect life. He suffered in our place. And he died being nailed to a Roman cross. And the Bible says more than that, he was raised. And is now at the right hand of God the Father. And the Bible tells us he is indeed interceding for us. That means Jesus is, is interceding. He's praying for us. And he will not forget you. May that bring us comfort in the midst of our trials. And may we also be comforted knowing that God will deliver you in his perfect timing. Right? Remember, Joseph had no idea when he would be delivered out of the prison. But he was certain that the dreams that God gave him, the God-given dreams in, in chapter 37, that God would bring about exactly what he revealed to him. And of that, Joseph was sure. And Joseph was faithful to God while waiting 13 years for this moment to be de delivered, to, 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 to stand in front of Pharaoh. And you and I need to be reminded that God is working in our lives, but his timing is not our timing. Right? God is working in and for eternity. And whether we find rescue from our trials in this lifetime or not, we know that our hope is not in this life, is it, church? Our hope is in the life to come. Our hope is in Christ, and it is in heaven. And I want us to see that for every story in the Bible like Joseph, there are also those, like those found in Hebrews 11, right? It's a chapter that we call the roll call of faith. And I want you to, to listen to how this chapter ends. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37 and 40 says this, it says they were stoned, speaking of the men and women that, that are in that chapter. You need to go back and read that chapter. But it says they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains 
and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, right? That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see, I want you to see this. The writer of Hebrews is making this important point that some of God's saints do not find deliverance from their sufferings and trials in this life, but they do in glory. You see, their redemption is certain because of what Christ accomplished on their behalf. On the behalf of all who would put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's good news. And so, here's another question we've been asking, a very important question, probably the most important here, is how does this story point us to Jesus? Well, I want us to see that just like we saw in Joseph's life, we see the same truth even more so in Jesus' life. First, Jesus did not forget us. Jesus did not forget us. God's redemptive plan was perfectly fulfilled by Christ who went to the cross to save sinners. Every page of the Old Testament shows God moving human history along in preparation for the Son of God to come and to save us from our sins. And he did save us at Calvary. And he was raised to life. And and he tells us at the end of Matthew 28 that he is with us and promises us that he will be with us until the end of the age. So church, Jesus does not forget us. But also we see that Jesus was always committed to the Father's purposes. Right, everything Jesus did was the Father's perfect will. He, he testifies to this in John chapter five and he prays this in John 17, that he came and that he accomplished exactly what the Father sent him to do to save us from our sins. And then last, Jesus perfectly embodied the characteristics that God worked into Joseph's life. He perfectly embodied the characteristic traits, the the traits of patience and endurance and joy. And this is our gospel message, that, that Jesus endured the cross, he despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus is the ultimate and perfect example for us to follow. And so let me end with this question. How should we respond today? If I could sum up our response in one statement, it would be this. We need to believe God's promises, looking to Jesus, even in the prison moments of our lives. Even in those times of suffering, that we believe God's promises, looking to Jesus. And I want us to know that each one of us in this room have a response today. You see, trials will happen. They happen to everyone. But God's promise is that Jesus came to deliver us from them all. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to place our faith and our continued trust in Christ. Right? I heard someone say once, we need to, to believe and keep on believing. And I love that. Right? It's, it's believe and keep on believing. It's repent and keep on repenting. It's a continued faith. Not just in, in the one prayer that you may have given at some time ago, but that we would continue to put our trust and our hope in Christ. And we need to be reminded that that our definition of hope in Christ is different than the world's, right? The, the world's definition of hope is like wishful thinking. It's always in this life, right? The world says things like, well, I hope it doesn't rain today. Wishful thinking. I hope I just, students, this is for you. I hope I just passed that test, right? We say that, wishful thinking. In fact, it reminded me when I, I, I thought of that that I had a professor who would pray this uh, in seminary. He said, Lord, help these students 
get a grade on this test that is equal proportion to the amount of effort they studied. I, hate, I didn't like, I didn't want to pray that way. I prayed for a miracle, right? <laughs> but can I tell you which one won out? <laughs> which prayer was answered? No, it's not wishful thinking. Jesus lived a perfect life, meaning he never sinned, and yet he died on the cross paying our penalty, right? What I mean by that is he took our sin, our shame, he nailed it to the cross like we sing. And three days later, Jesus was raised to life, victorious over sin and death. That, that's the promise of God, right? I want you to see this here. Jesus is the promise. Joseph is, is taking us to, 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 the, to Christ, to God's promise to Abraham in, in Genesis 12, 3, right? To bless the, the, the families of the earth. And that blessing comes through Christ. It's a promise that gives us eternal life if we will trust in him. And so I wanna say this. If you're in this room today, you are one of, of two kinds of people. You either know Christ or you don't know Christ. And if you are here today and don't know Christ, I want you to know that he is calling you in this moment to put your faith in him. And you can come forward this morning. We would love to share more about what life in Christ looks like. We would love to rejoice with you. But I want you to know that if you don't know Christ, he is calling you today to put your faith in him, to trust in him and let him rescue you from that prison of sin. But if you are here today and you already have a relationship with Christ, then I want you to know this. We need to rest in the fact that God is working in our lives for his glory and for our good. Now, you may not be able to see exactly how he's gonna use these trials for our good, but you can rest in the fact that his word is trustworthy and it is true. Amen? And so let us trust the Lord. Let us bow our heads now as we, we pray and we're gonna have an opportunity to respond. But I wanna lead us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this testimony of Joseph's life. Lord, it's a demonstration of what it looks like to be faithful to you. And it's a reminder to us that you are always, always working in our lives. And it is always for your glory. And it's for our good. And so, Lord, we, we thank you. Even, I pray that we'd be able to, to, to rejoice in our trials and to count them all joy, as James encourages us. But, Lord, some of us are, are going through some struggles. And I just pray we release that and give that to you. Lord, I pray if anyone here does not know you, that they would respond today, Lord. There's no greater blessing than to, to, to repent and to put our faith in Jesus Christ and to know that the moment we do, Lord, there is forgiveness and there is, there is healing and there is restoration. And so, Lord, we pray for that. And for those in this, this room, Lord, who, who are followers of Christ, I pray, Lord, that there would be comfort for us to see that you are working in the midst of that trial and that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. So Lord, may we respond this morning to your word and do so to your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.